are Zach and Carrie, a 30-something couple. On this podcast, we'll be exploring yoga philosophy and how to apply it to our modern lives. For us, this means that we are both in recovery from alcohol use. We try to always keep learning and having new experiences. We live an off-grid, more sustainable lifestyle and more. Follow along as we discuss what yoga is now means for all of us. Life has been good recently. We've been uh, traveling a lot since it's kind of our off season, kind of like getting started on the busy season. So we just got back from Latin America. We were in Costa Rica doing our Costa Rica retreat and driving around Mexico. Now we're back and uh, we're in California right now in near Joshua Tree and we're getting ready for our Joshua Tree retreat. So just kind of taking a few days before that for self-care, getting ourselves ready and... Pretty soon, we will be starting that retreat tomorrow. I'm super excited about We've done this retreat a bunch of times now, so it's going to go really well, I think. And I don't know, I'm just excited to uh, see who shows up for that. Yeah, me too. Well, I know about half the people who are showing up, and about half the people will be brand new guests and friends for us. So I'm super excited to meet them. And I would say we are definitely into busy season. Like, busy season, to me, began when we started our Costa Rica retreat. But we did have an amazing month of driving around Mexico before that. And then the Costa Rica retreat was also incredible. It's just been pretty full on with the travel um, to get back here ever since we finished up that retreat. And then... You're saying we're here, like, doing self-care, but actually we're here because you are you just finished your Wilderness First Responder recertification class, so I've been kind of hanging out, and you've been in class for the last three days, so how was that? I mean, it was, it was great. Uh, class is pretty chill. It's just, like, a refresher course that you have to do every couple of years, and yeah, I consider just, like, sitting in my chair and learning as, like, less than what I have been doing just because we've been traveling so hard like we drove like this three-day driving marathon back from Mexico City then we spent like a day at our house and then after that you know repacked our stuff drove out here to the desert and then I went right into the course so I've been trying to just refuel while trying to soak up a little bit of information that I hopefully already knew it's good to like have reminders and just reabsorb the stuff that you learned two years ago I'm sure I mean I took the class back in December and I'm pretty sure I've already like forgotten a lot of stuff yeah you forget a lot but it's, <laughs> it stays in there somewhere you know you're not you're not completely losing it it's like a right. language you, you learn when you're a child you know it comes back well I think it's good that we're kind of on like a rotating schedule with it because like every year basically now one of us will be doing the research so hopefully one of us will always be fresh on what to do in a wilderness medical situation that's right (laughs) yeah so joshua tree is great we're out here just at the boondocking camp camp spot in the desert and it's hot but it's always nice out here just like really beautiful and I don't know. I like the energy here. It's a nice place. Interesting little towns and cool people. Lots of climbers. We haven't climbed because Zach has been in class, but I've been 
trail running and hiking, so that's been fun. You know what I noticed today? The wildflowers are coming out. Yes. Yesterday they were not. Today there's a lot of yellow flowers everywhere. Yay. I'm really excited about it. Just well, fields full. Yesterday I was on the Skyline Trail and I saw some blooming cacti, which were nice. My favorite, like neon green blooming cacti were out, so. Which kind were they? I don't know. I don't, I'm not good at remembering names of plants, <laughs> but you can tell me what they are later. All right. Cut. Cuts. <laughs> Go into the topic. So our topic for today is ahimsa. Yes, ahimsa. You may have heard of this. You may have never heard of this. Either way, it's great to learn. Yeah. We're going to talk about what ahimsa is and how we practice ahimsa in our lives and maybe how you can start to practice ahimsa in your life in 2022. Just... I just how the, the meaning of ahimsa can be different for all of us, depending on our situation. Right. Yeah. And it's definitely, I think, a little bit different and a little bit more open to interpretation because of the time, age, and place where we are living now compared to how things were in ancient India over 5,000 years ago when the Vedas were compiled and ahimsa was kind of defined as a concept back then. So things have changed a lot. So ahimsa is the first of the yamas. And the yamas, if you're unfamiliar, are a list of things, a list of kind of ways to live. Actually, the yamas are more specifically a list of things not to do. Um, so you can define the yamas as ethical restraints or practices of self-regulation. There's a lot of different ways to define the yamas and niyamas, but basically the yamas and niyamas are the first two limbs of yoga. So if you're familiar with yoga as a physical practice that you do on your mat when you go to a yoga studio, um, kind of what we're hoping to bring in this podcast is a lot more information on how yoga is so much more than that. And so we'll be going through the yamas, which are these rules for living, these kind of ethical observances, things not to do. And we'll be talking about each one and how to apply it to our lives. And the first one is ahimsa. Ahimsa means non-violence. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. You know, violence is not good. So kind of vague. Yeah, it's also kind of vague and they all are a little bit vague, which is why I believe they're open to interpretation and we actually have to think about these concepts and how to apply them best to our situations. So the word ahimsa obviously is Sanskrit. Um, I looked this up today and the Sanskrit etymology comes from hymns, which means a desire to, a desire to kill. And then a, uh, so the suffix a uh, just makes that a negative. So, or the prefix a uh, makes it a negative. So ahimsa, all put together, means lacking any desire to kill, if you translate it most accurately from Sanskrit. Mostly we say non-violence or non-harming nowadays. 
Um, do you want me to ask you questions or do you want to say anything? I didn't have anything yet. Okay, cool. So just start to think, you know, for yourself as you're listening, what does nonviolence mean in your life? How do you practice nonviolence? How do you practice nonviolence towards yourself, other people, the whole world, everything that surrounds you? And if we had a bunch of different people who were all listening and all thinking about how they practice nonviolence, I'm guessing that we would come up with like a lot of different answers. Um, so that's why these concepts are so cool to discuss and think about because they are pretty open to interpretation and we all have to decide based on our life circumstances how to best put these into practice. And I was kind of thinking about this today, looking up some definitions and some quotes about ahimsa nonviolence and what was coming up the most when I was looking up quotes were quotes from Gandhi. So Gandhi definitely made Ahimsa more well-known because he practiced Ahimsa. He guided everyone else in India at the time to practice Ahimsa to non-violently overthrow the British occupation of India. So I was thinking I can read you a few of these quotes that I found and then you can tell me what you think about them. Sounds great. All right, so the first one that I picked out that I really liked is a Gandhi quote, and he said, Ahimsa is the highest ideal. It is meant for the brave, never for the cowardly. So Gandhi obviously was really into Ahimsa. This is what I, I think like a huge base for his kind of revolution that he was doing. Mm-hmm. But he obviously didn't come up with this term. No. So when, do you know when Ahimsa came around? Ahimsa comes from the Vedas, which are like the most ancient texts or compilations of wisdom on how to be a yogi or how to practice um, living a good life according to ancient Indian philosophy. So I would say this concept is definitely well over 5,000 years ago because the Vedas were like collections of wisdom that were passed down orally for a long time before they were ever written down. So Ahimsa is super ancient, and I would say one of the ways that may seem more obvious that people in India, many to this day, still practice Ahimsa is by being vegetarian. So it's by having like a diet that's not violent to other beings. But then, yeah, Gandhi definitely used Ahimsa for the revolution. Right. But we shouldn't just be going around probably telling everybody that they have to be vegetarian or they have to be a vegan in order to practice ahimsa. Right. I mean, how do you practice ahimsa with how you eat? I think just um, being mindful about our eating choices and how they affect the planet could be a way to, you know, maybe cutting back on your meat consumption maybe replacing your your meat protein with some uh some um legumes or frijoles right yeah i agree and i've i can see definitely like both sides of this because i've been vegetarian for a long time i went vegetarian first when i was 19 and so for me like it's always worked pretty well you know like people who know me know that i'm not like wasting away not losing weight. Um, I've been off and on more vegetarian and more vegan 
at different times in my life. And I've never felt like I was like deficient in calories or nutrients. Like I've always been able to be um, healthy eating plant-based. And for a long time before I started studying Ayurveda, which is another sister science of yoga that we'll go into at some point, before I started studying Ayurveda, I thought like everyone should be vegan. Like it works for me. It can work for everyone. And then I started studying Ayurveda and I learned a lot more about how different people have different types of bodies and different types of metabolisms and their digestion is different. And maybe what works for me doesn't work for you or for other people. And so I've seen this in our lives because you're mostly plant-based, I would say, but every once in a while, you're just like, I'm losing too many belt loops. I got to like eat a hamburger, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, for myself, I kind of think of meat as a medicine that I use when, um, when, you know, I, I'm sure that I could eat more plants it would get me there, but it's just like, it takes a lot of work. And sometimes my digestion cannot handle putting that much plants into my belly. I need like faster calories. Yeah, because you are, like, the prime example of a really, like, fast metabolism that if you don't eat meat every once in a while, especially when you're working really hard or climbing really hard, you'll just, like, lose too much weight. Right, so, and that's also, like, my privilege, my choice. Like, to, I'm in the place where I can choose what I want to eat. Like, what about, like, people, like, let's say, nomadic um, yak herders in Mongolia, Right. Like, do the, do they have to, like, they have nothing else to eat. They would, they would die yeah. if they didn't eat meat exactly. or dairy. We can't, like, prescribe our Western notion of how we think other people should live onto other cultures where it doesn't really apply. And I experienced kind of an upsetting example of this one time um, when I was teaching a class for mostly like underprivileged um, at-risk youth in a juvenile detention center in Arizona and um, I had to like take a day off and I had a substitute teacher come and teach the yoga class there for me and then when I went back later and asked all the youth how the class was they told me that they talked about ahimsa and I was like oh great what does it mean what did you learn and one of them just goes she taught us that ahimsa means being vegan Right. And that's it. And I was like, oh, no, come on. Because, you know, you got to match your message to your audience. Like, those teenagers, most of them came from the Navajo or Hopi nations. It's a food desert out there. There's hardly any grocery stores, hardly any produce for so many people. Like, how are you going to tell those teenagers who are struggling just to, like, survive and stay out of jail to go be vegan? All right. <laughs> So, it, but it's a fine line of how we talk to people right. as yogis, because mm -hmm. you want to spread the message, but you also need to be understanding that everybody's in a different situation and everyone does clear karma in a different way. Right. What seems wrong, some, something that somebody else is doing might seem wrong to us, but in their situation, it might be the way that they can best clear their karmas, clear their debts. Yeah. I think it's, like, a matter of, of coming at people in life with the opinion that everyone is doing the best that they can. And ev all of us come into this life with different karmas, with different tools, and with different privileges. So, for me, you know, I've been 
super lucky in my life to never experience like food insecurity. You know, and for you too, like I'm sure I've, I've been poor, but I've always like had a credit card. I've never lacked the ability to go buy myself food. And so for me, I have the option of being vegan and being healthy as a vegan. So I know that I have that ability. I know it works for my body. I'm going to try and do it to the best of my ability. And like you were saying earlier, in Ayurveda, um, meat, and in particular red meat, is seen as more of a medicinal thing. So yeah, some people do need to eat meat to maintain their strength, to recover from an illness. Um, but we can probably, in general, reduce our meat consumption in this country. But I'm not going to, like, go around the world and just, like, t tell everyone to be vegan without knowing what their situation is. So, if you, Carrie, if you hadn't taken that day off, how would you have described Ahimsa to these kids in that class in jail? I'm glad you asked that question, because... I think what I would have said and what one of the definitions that we forget about a lot is is that ahimsa includes nonviolence towards ourselves and this means in action and in thoughts so I think one of the hardest but also most simple ways that we all need to practice ahimsa more is by just being kinder to ourselves in the way that we think about ourselves I think we're definitely our I think in general, we're probably our own worst critic. Yeah. And our sure. own worst enemy. Like, w most of our problems are caused by things going on in our own brain. They're not problems, like, in the physical world that are happening to us all the time. Yeah. I mean, if I watch my thoughts, I just notice so much self-criticism, so much self-doubt, so much negativity... Even if, like, everything is going really well in my life, my brain will still create problems. It's like, kind of like self-limiting beliefs, self-inflicting uh, self, uh, damage. Yeah, just, like, negative self-talk, you know? Like, if I, you know, go and teach a yoga class and, and people come up to me and tell me, oh, that was a great class, then my brain will still think back and be like oh but that one part I should have said this or that one part I like messed it up you know it's like easy for us to just criticize ourselves constantly instead of giving ourselves credit for all the good things that we're doing right so do you think that's a good place to start is by starting with giving yourself more love getting your giving yourself more you know, less shame, less of judgment, just, or is it good, better to kind of focus this outwards? Well, I think anything that we want to focus outwards has to start with ourselves. So I would definitely say, you know, just start with yourself and do your best to, like, think more positively towards yourself. Of course, those negative um, thoughts and self-limiting beliefs are still going to come up. We're not in control of all of our thoughts, but maybe when those things come up, just let them go instead of dwelling on them or notice that you've had like a negative criticism towards yourself and then give yourself a compliment as well, you know? 
Um, I like the saying, you know, talk to yourself in the way that you would talk to a loved one. You know, don't, don't think things about yourself that you would never say to someone you love as much as you can just kind of work on that and then think it will naturally flow outwards towards others as well. I think we can all work on that. Yeah. And it doesn't mean to not feel your feelings. It's not spiritual bypassing. It's not the secret. It's not saying you can never be negative or acknowledge difficulty in your life because of course we want to acknowledge that there is suffering, there is difficulty, there is hardship in our lives, and those feelings and those thoughts have a place. But it's really a matter of Like how I said, we want to assume everyone is doing their best. Also assume that you are doing your best. (laughs) Like give yourself more credit for how you get through that suffering and how you get through your life. You know, you don't have to constantly be like a perfectionist and nitpicking at yourself for every little thing that you wish was different. I do find that it's harder for me to be nice to myself than to others sometimes. I think it it helps if I can kind of look at myself from a third person's perspective, just like zoom out a little bit. And sometimes that helps me to realize, wow, those things aren't that actually that bad. And you're kind of just doing this to yourself here. Yeah. That mm-hmm. zoom out definitely helps at times. So you were talking about ahimsa towards self. What about ahimsa towards others? Like what, um, What's an easy thing that we can do to start practicing this right now? Hmm. Well, we have to remember always that it's nonviolence in thoughts, words, and actions. So I think just like, you know, watching what you think about others, watching what you say towards others, and then obviously, you know, you don't want to go around being physically violent or violent in action to other people or other beings. Um, Hopefully... Not too many of us are having big problems with that, but usually that physical violence starts with just, like, a thought. So, so I'm seeing this as a pattern, like, your your kind of violence toward yourself starts with a thought, and, like, all of these things start with thoughts, and, you know, they're probably thoughts that we've had before. So um, what's a good way to work on controlling our thoughts and our actions? Mm. Through meditation. Yeah. I would say definitely meditation is a good tool for this. Particularly, there are specific meditations called self-compassion meditations, which are helpful. It's just about, like, acknowledging that you're a human and you don't have to be perfect and you can do your best and be kind to yourself no matter what. How do you use meditation to be better with ahimsa? I think just by... It helps to develop that third person perspective so that you can kind of see your thoughts from an outside view. And then once you start doing that, I think it starts to, you know, decrease the repetition of the thoughts. And you maybe can more easily notice that, you know, these thoughts are not serving us in the way that we think that they are. They're kind of just like repeating the same old thing that we've heard thousands of times before. And... You know, sometimes with meditation, it's just like a way that you can like just um, close the door and just not listen to that babble from that part of your brain anymore. Yeah, I think meditation is amazing for slowing down our reactions in all times of our life. So, 
even if you're just taking 10 minutes a day every morning to practice your meditation, you're still giving yourself that practice of slowing down, observing your thoughts without reacting to them, and then that strengthens your ability to be in a difficult situation with a relationship or something happening in your life and not just react right away. Because usually it's those unconscious reactions that we can't really catch or control in the moment that lead to violence. And when you're being violent or mean or argumentative or however you want to see it with another person, honestly, that's hurting you too most of the time. So this reflects back to you, even if that other person might deserve it, you know, you treating them rudely, disrespectfully, violently, it just, it ends up hurting you. It doesn't feel good to treat people that way. You're just kind of inviting this kind of terrible energy into yourself, which spreads to your friends, your family around you. Mm -hmm. So I would say that the best way to, you know, work on outward violence would be to practice like limiting inward violence. Totally. I have a quote that relates to that. All right. It's another Gandhi quote. This one says, The principle of ahimsa is hurt by every evil thought, by undue haste, by lying, by hatred, by wishing ill to anybody. Nice. Ooh, that's a zinger. Yeah, that sums it up pretty good. Yeah. I like the part about undue haste because that definitely corresponds to that reactivity I was just mentioning. Uh Undue haste, like, you know, sometimes just by taking a breath, like, waiting a moment, everything changes. You don't really, maybe you don't feel the need to uh, yell at that person and just cut you off in traffic. You're like, what is that going to do? Or maybe you don't feel the need to uh, to leave that comment on Instagram. Like, you know, choose your battles. Right. If you're going to engage with something like that, make sure it's productive. Yeah. Traffic is a great example. I feel like a lot of us struggle a I ton struggle. with road rage. <laughs> I have terrible road rage. Yeah, you do. <laughs> and it, I mean, it never does anything except bringing anger into myself. Right. It's just me opening up that field and allowing it in. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I let it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what do you do? Take more deep breaths when you're driving? Uh, I end up breathing really shallowly when I'm driving especially like if I'm by myself I'll, I'll, I'll drive just for hours with the radio off just like my own thoughts and then I'll notice like I'm barely breathing and I'll take a couple deep breaths and then like it actually like gives me this like flood of euphoria just for a couple breaths because I haven't been breathing that's scary <laughs> now, that, that, it could be a reason for bra- having like these rageful moments is you know you're lacking the chemicals in your brain that your brain needs Mm -hmm. you're going to respond in a primal way yeah it makes sense i mean breath is one of your body's ways of cooling itself down and in ayurveda we associate excess heat with anger so if you're barely breathing you're driving like in the sun and you're letting yourself get all overheated and you're already pretty fiery which will make more sense when we do an episode on ayurveda 
but you're already pretty fiery, you're barely breathing, you're just like increasing all your heat. So of course someone cuts you off in traffic and you're going to have that angry reaction. That's, the, that's what starts the fire. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, it, not having this angry reaction starts at home, starts in the morning when you wake up. It starts with your routine and your spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I... I don't have this happen when things, everything else around me is going good in my life. This is just something that happens, you know, when you're having a bad day or, you know, not everything else is as perfect as you want it or you just have too much on your plate for me at least. But life is not perfect ever. No. That's why it's good to always be working on it. Mm-hmm. Getting better. Totally. Bettering our practices. Just a couple minutes every day is all it takes. Yeah. I would say meditation is like the number one thing that can help with this and it's really hard because it requires a lot of self-discipline so if you're not meditating just start with five minutes a day i mean they have done studies that show that the ideal length of time to meditate is 20 minutes twice a day but don't even pressure yourself to do that right right away just start with something you know just start with like when you're in traffic, instead of looking at your phone while you're stopped, let it be kind of like a moment of stillness and deep breaths. That can be a way to become more mindful in a situation that could be stressful. What's cool about meditation is that you'll notice fast improvements. Um, when we do our retreats, especially the retreat in Costa Rica, where we, we meditate every morning like as a group, and you'll notice after four or five days that everybody in the group has improved their meditation practice. Um, some people by a lot, some people by a little, but um, it happens fast. So I, I know it's sometimes things are hard. When things are hard, you know, it's, it's hard to continue doing them if you don't notice a lot of change. But with meditation, you're going to notice change. You'll notice it fast on a lot of different levels. Right. I agree. I'm... We're inspiring ourselves. Well, I know at least I'm inspiring myself to be better about my morning meditation. So that's good. And then the last category of ahimsa, I would say, is ahimsa towards the whole world. You know, the universe, the earth, all beings. So this would be like maybe our actions that we don't directly notice um, their effect yeah, totally. Like maybe like what types of products we use or what stores we shop at or things like this. Right. And once again, disclaimer that this comes with a lot of subjectivity based on your life situation and your level of privilege because we're not going to expect someone who's just in survival mode struggling to feed their family to like only buy organic products and zero waste packaging and all of this stuff because if that's not something you have the ability to do in this moment you just have to do your best with what you have but i would also say there's a lot of people moving through the world really unconscious of their effect on the environment of their effect on other people their effect on animals you know you can be on autopilot and have a lot of negative effects and accumulate a lot of karmas that you don't even think about because you're just going through the world kind of selfishly so you you talked about before how it's like 
all these concepts are a matter of privilege and a matter of like your own situation about how deeply you can practice them or in what ways but how what would be a good way to talk to other people about this if you notice people living in a way that's like not practicing nonviolence like um what's a way to talk to them without sounding like a pretentious kind of jerk Hmm, that's a good question because you don't want to make people feel judged for their actions, but I think part of our responsibility as yogis is also to help other people open their eyes and awaken to these concepts when they're able to. So I would say one example that's coming to mind is that when we do our retreats in Arizona and we take people hiking... I know you're really good about talking about the whole ecosystem and how all the plants and animals are interdependent in our ecosystem and how, you know, actions by corporations and oil companies and things like that are damaging little parts of the ecosystem, which then have a butterfly effect and go outwards and affect everything. And I know because we just had this example pop up in real life that someone actually changed something significant in their life based on that talk that you gave them. Yeah. So I think that's, that probably goes along the lines of, I mean, not everybody is a, in a, is a guide in the Grand Canyon or a guide anywhere that's like, even knows how all these systems work but maybe you're saying just to like live your life in the way that i'd say if you can share information with people that might help them make better decisions then go ahead and share it but you have to be non not attached to the results all you can do is like provide people with alternatives and information and what they do with it is up to them. Yeah, I, I kind of find that the best way of delivering hard lessons is to just like, especially if you're going to spend a lot of time with people, is to just change how you act yourself. And maybe they notice, maybe these other people notice how you're acting and they, if they're ready to hear it, they'll come up and ask you. Yeah. Instead I agree. of just always being like like you need to stop using plastic water bottles. You need to stop using plastic water bottles or like you know, you just you know, you bring your water bottle every day, you talk about, you know, your delicious water that you have that you filtered yourself and it's like you put minerals in it and it's it's so good. And eventually maybe they decide, "Oh, I I would like to be drinking that delicious water that he has and not my Dasani." Right. Yeah, I agree. It's also interesting to think about from a karmic perspective because now I'm just pondering the question of if someone acts violently towards the environment but they don't understand what they're doing, they're doing it out of ignorance, does that have a different karmic result than someone who understands that they shouldn't be using a single-use water bottle and does it anyway with knowledge of the harm that it's causing. Mm. What do you think? 
Does I think one I, cause more karma than the other? I think that looking at it from a karmic perspective, they are quite different. Right. I agree. This is how you can look at the whole world this way. Everyone's actions are creating karma for them differently than they would be if you were having that action. So that's why it's so hard to um, be judging people based on like, oh, somebody posts something on Facebook, I'm going to judge them based on what they say. But what they say may be correct for them in their situation. But just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean it's wrong. Or it doesn't mean that it's it's, it's not like it's not your path, but it might be their path. Right. This is, this is going to sound silly, but it's like making me think of the line that I think is from Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's like knowledge is power in this situation. So that's why we sometimes call it blissful ignorance because in some ways it's blissful to be ignorant and to not understand how your actions affect the earth or how your actions affect the greater good. But once you have that knowledge and once you understand, like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I'm going to do it anyway, then I think if you do it anyway, the karma is more of a bitch, basically. Yes. So that's what we're doing with this podcast, I think, is educating people right? in a small way. And by educating, we create more people who, you know, because once you hear about Ahimsa and, you know, once it resonates with you and you decide this is a good concept, then I think you'll feel the need to um, implement it in your own life, at least in a small way. Right. And in this way, like, education is changing the world for the better mm -hmm. by creating less ignorance. Yeah. So, sorry, everybody. If you listen this far, you don't have ignorance on Ahimsa anymore. So you do have that knowledge and that power and that responsibility to start implementing Ahimsa to the best of your ability in your life situation. Yes. And I think all that means is, you know sitting with it yourself and maybe doing a little meditation with that on your mind and just like seeing what that looks like for you. Right. And I'm sure just by doing that, you'll, you will have a positive impact on yourself and those around you. And also another thing I'd like to clarify is just that we really want to avoid going towards perfectionism with any of these concepts because if you get really detailed with it and look at every action that you could possibly take in your life, you'll probably see that there's really nothing you can do that doesn't have some sort of effect, you know? So, like, by buying plastic water bottles, you're hurting the earth. But by not buying plastic water bottles, maybe people in the water bottle factory lose their jobs, you know? It's like everything has these different sort of karmic weights. So we don't want to pressure ourselves to be perfect because also most of us listening to this are what we call in yoga householders. So we're not renouncing ourselves from society. We're not going off to live in caves and be monks and just solely devote ourselves to this. We have to, by necessity, carry out modern lives in 2022 and for most of us, I'm sure that means having jobs, 
having family obligations. I'm sure a majority of us probably have to drive a car. So it's not about like giving up anything that has any negative impact in order to follow this. It's just about doing the best that you can with what life has offered you in 2022. Right. And I mean, you might get opportunities to implement small changes and, you know, like wait until you have the chance, the opportunity, and then implement a small change and start there. Right. And, you know, you can, if you make one small change every week, then, you know, you'll be a completely different person by the end of the year. I would say go even slower than that. Even slower. I, I can't change one thing every week. <laughs> change just like, as an example. Right. Change like one thing a month, you know. That's, that might be more sustainable. But just do your best. One other little example that comes to mind from my life is just that I grew up in a household where my mom really was like scared of bugs and spiders and mosquitoes and all sorts of insects and so it was very normal and I just absorbed it as a child that it was very normal to kill all the creepy crawlies that make their way into the house and you you know just give them a smack with a shoe or something because they're gross and scary and we don't want to coexist with them and I just absorbed that as a kid and kind of followed the same path like oh I'm scared of spiders you know it's such a stereotype but it wasn't until I really started studying yoga and also traveling more um in more like remote places in the world and having more up-close encounters with these sort of creepy crawlies spiders and cockroaches and stuff that I had to reckon with that kind of and I had to just realize that honestly I've never gotten seriously injured from an insect and they are also living beings and I don't really want to kill those things unnecessarily when I could just like escort them outside or even just let them be, you know? I had to deprogram myself from that mindset of dominance over the entire natural world and kind of relearn that I can coexist with insects and like it's gonna be fine I'm not gonna die I just think that if you're trying to spend your life always trying to dominate nature nature will always win right you always be fighting against it but we in you can do instead is just to accept nature and to be a part of it because yes. that's what you are and you'll feel better that way yes 100% we are all a part of nature not separate if you want to have more discussion about ahimsa you can always leave us comments send us messages drop it in our dms is that what we say yeah drop it in the dms yeah <laughs> zach doesn't know these things and <laughs> um yeah just um let us know how how it's been like trying to implement these concepts into your life yeah i would love to hear any feedback on our first big episode for now just send it to instagram bigger life adventures slide into the dms and we're also on facebook of course bigger life adventures is our page we have lots of retreats coming up this year there's one spot left for arizona there's three spots left for colorado in september there's multiple spots left what for Baja. Don't say how many spots are left okay. because it's going to change. 
Right, you're right. Okay. There are multiple retreats coming up this year, and some of them still have recovery scholarships available. So there's space available for Arizona in August, Colorado in September, and Baja in October, as well as Costa Rica, the second round next March. We already booked it because we had such a good time. We're already and selling spots for that. We are. That's great. So recovery scholarships, just email us or send us a DM to ask about that. And then the regular um, full price spots are available on our website, biggerlifeadventures.com. So our retreats, uh, I mean, they're based on, you know, we want people to come to get out of their comfort zone to, you know, spend time in nature and take time to heal. Um, but we just offer these uh, special scholarships for people who are in recovery from, you know, you can be in recovery from a lot of different things, but we just want to uh, offer it for people who, who need it in that time. So just don't be hesitant to ask us. Right. It can be recovery from addiction, eating disorder, trauma, workaholism, heartbreak, whatever you're recovering from. If you're on a journey and you need some financial assistance, just ask us. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. <laughs> bye, 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 bye.